0: everybody, welcome back into Locked On Suns, probably Locked On Podcast Network. Today is always my host, Evan Sider. I'm joined by co-host Brendan Queen. You can follow me on Twitter at EastSider. You can follow on Twitter at clean 14 You also for our Locked On Suns, Patreon page at you on already at Locked on PHX suns Your support over there is very much appreciated as always. And this is a fun episode we have for you guys today here. And it's the doldrums of August here, but fantasy basketball is going to pick up here very soon. I actually did a 20-team a draft myself offline in the last few weeks. and. I'm going to do, probably do another one here, too, because I'm getting very valuable advice today from our locked-on fantasy expert, Josh Lloyd. How are you doing today, Josh?
1: Hey, Evan. How are you?
0: Doing great. Thanks again for coming on. And Let me just ask you this. We should start off here. We're going to run through six players today, and we're going to start off with easily the biggest name on the Suns. And I think one of the more intriguing players from a fantasy perspective this year. I know he's a divisive topic on NBA Twitter, but Josh, what do you think of Devin Booker as far as his growth so far and what you expect
1: from him next season? Well, he has taken big steps forward. Like we didn't know that he really had the same level of ball handling skills and distribution skills when he was coming out of college, but that's really developed in his game. I think he is still somehow an underrated fantasy player. In fact, over his final 21 games of last season, he was the ninth ranked player in fantasy basketball. I don't think he's necessarily going to get to that level again this year or that that top 10 type of number but he he's for sure to me a, a second round guy. He could push up towards that end of the first round player and if he you know, averaged average you know, 28 and 6 I wouldn't be surprised this season.
2: How much do uh injuries for Booker pro- kind of factor into the the projections you have for I mean this season and just kind of the past few with how much that has kind of become part of the package with him. He gets injured. That's uh, unfortunately been a case for the majority of his career now. Is that something that when you're kind of analyzing this stuff that you have to keep in mind with
1: him at this point? I have something that I say on my show all the time and people love banging on about players who are uh, iron men or who are injury prone. And, Basically, all it takes is one healthy season for you not to be injury-prone, or it takes one injury for you not to be an Man. So basically, you're injury-prone until you're not. So someone like Brooke Lopez played all 82 games of his career for the first three years of his career, then broke his foot, and then he was like, no, I never want to draft him. He's always injured. And then since then, he's played like 77 games for three three or four years in a row. Now Devin has had these injuries that have ended his season the last two years. I think that is... Equal part Booker getting injured, but equal part also the Suns being terrible and there being absolutely zero rush for him to get back into the lineup. And if it was a situation where I think the Suns will be a bit better this year, I don't think they're necessarily going to be making the playoffs or even necessarily going to be in a fight for the playoffs, but that will be better. And I don't think that we'll have that necessity for Booker to be to sit down with minor injuries for the final year, two, two months or six weeks of the season, however, however it may be.
0: I know, Josh, that Booker is a very explosive score and his playmaking ability has really gone off. How how would you rate Booker? I know you've done your pre-draft rankings out there on your podcast as well, but where does Booker stack up amongst the combo guards out there as far as fantasy perspective goes?
1: I think you're looking at him uh, in that group with Bradley Beal and, and Drew Holiday in those guys who handle the ball, they can play off the ball as well. So that's sort of in that in that mix you know, behind a, a James Harden type of a player, especially when we're looking uh, for fantasy. But at that back end of that first round, Drew, Drew and, and Bradley Beal, and Devin Booker are all in that group together in that area, a little bit ahead of someone like a uh, Luka Doncic, who is also that ball handling guy who plays at the one, two, three, that sort of type of, of a player. So Booker's in in that group with Beale and Holiday.
2: And when you're talking about, you know, you said you could maybe see an outside chance of him being a top ten type of player, if he does kind of bring all the components of the past couple of years all together and sustain that level of performance, uh, I think I personally am expecting maybe the scoring to to go to to potentially go down. I don't really know necessarily what kind of uh, to expect from him when it comes to points and things like that, assist numbers as well, playing next to a real point guard. But what do you see as the ceiling for Booker as an individual player this year when it comes to fantasy, and then? Uh, What kind of – what numbers and indicators are you looking for that would have to happen for him to get there?
1: I think that the key point you brought up there is playing next to a point guard in Rubio. So last year, he averaged 6.8 assists. I think it's going to be hard for him to do that. And that's what – if he could get to those seven assists a game again, then that would push him back up towards that that top 10 type area. Also, as you guys would be well aware – he didn't shoot well from three, 32.6% from three last season. And if that gets back up to where it was the year before 38 or even the year before that at 36, that's another step forward for him going there. So it'd be getting those assists at a similar level to last season, but also increasing that overall three-point efficiency. He hit only 2.13s per game, and that sounds like a, a lot, but he hit 2.7 per game the year before. So it is a bit of a drop-off there, and a lot of that is efficiency-based. He also took uh, half a three fewer per game, which is not that much. But when you're hitting him at a lower rate, that does have an impact on your overall three-pointers. So you add those back in. If he hits him at 36% again, that adds to his scoring. It adds to his efficiency. Um, and then you, if those assists could stay, which is where I'm really doubtful on it, then he does push up into that you know, 10 to 12 range.
0: Before we go on to DeAndre Ayton, Josh, I just want to get your final thoughts on Booker here for a second, just outside of fantasy, because it just seems like he's, A guy, every offseason when it's like August and everyone's talking about, is Devin Booker actually a winning player? Does he do this? Does he do that? Where do you fall as far as Booker the player and do you think he's actually a true franchise building block?
1: It's an interesting one. It's, It's been hard. Obviously, the situation that he's been in has not been conducive to him being able to prove that either way. Yeah, it's all well and good to say, I want to put a team on my back, but it's literally impossible to do it in these sort of situations when the surrounding talent, the the dysfunction that goes on with coaching staffs and front office, it it is hard to see that. So I think we'll start to get a better indication from that this season for Booker, whether he can be that guy. Um, He's shown a lot more than I ever thought he'd be able to do. I wasn't, again, it's hard when they come out of Kentucky and they just are so limited in what they're able to show in terms of the, the playmaking and handling the ball. And his development in those areas has been really interesting. I think Booker's also been initially um, labeled as this elite shooter straight away. Oh, he's Clay Thompson. He's this knockdown shooter. And he's, as I said before, he had a 38% three-point shooting, but that's not 44%. It's not 43%. So he's always, I think, suffered a little bit from that early label where he's never actually been that level of a shooter he he works in different ways and sometimes comparisons can leave players wanting and then also the apathy he has defensively is something that is a concern but I think that he can develop into a guy that probably if you're looking at a championship level team he's a number two or, or a 1b sort of a player but not an absolute top five player in the NBA type of a level superstar
2: well I think uh, that that transitions perfectly into the other guy we wanted to hit on in this first segment and that's DeAndre Ayton who I think the Suns uh, and and reasonably so, have hopes could maybe eventually become a 1B or, you know, a, a, an equivalent type of player value-wise to what, what Booker is. But uh, I think from a, a fantasy perspective, I would, I would imagine that this year will, you know, where we're talking a little bit about Booker potentially having a drop-off as a playmaker, maybe even as a scorer. Uh, Aiton, I think, will continue to trend upward. Where, what do you make of... Uh, As you kind of think about this upcoming season in fantasy, what do you make of Aiton and kind of his chances to continue to build his statistical profile up?
1: Yeah, I think he's almost definitely going to improve. He only played 30 minutes a night last season. I think that's going to increase fairly significantly. Yeah, 32, 33 minutes a night would be the, the ideal number. He should be pushing towards 20 and 11, I think, in terms of points and rebounds, averaging. Interestingly, over the back end of last season, his free throw rate continued to drop off, which was a concern. He was 75% for the season, but only 69% over the final 28 games, and it got worse as the season went on. But he needs to get back to being that guy. I'm going to be interested to see if he actually takes any threes. I don't know if that was him, if that was Kokoshkov that didn't want him to take threes. I think he's got the ability to take them and to hit them, but he was so hesitant to go and do that last season that um, he wasn't able to, to bring that to his game. That's another portion that will take him into being the next level of fantasy player. One thing I think that is going to hold him back is uh, defensive numbers, is getting blocks and and getting steals. The steals aren't bad, but he's never going to be a 2.6 block per game. Rudy Gobert, Hassan Whiteside type of a player. He's more going to be in that Nikola Vucevic, Jonas Valanciunas level where they get 1.1, 1.2 blocks per game, and that limits their overall upside. But as a consistent 20-10 and sort of a player with really strong field goal percentage, if he gets that free throw percentage back up, which is the question, and gets those three-pointers in, he can be sort of a second-round fantasy guy, even as early as this year, but probably more of a third-round guy this year.
0: Where would you rank him, Josh, amongst the tiers of centers? I know probably Embiid and Towns and Jokic are in a class of their own, really. But does Aiden fall in that second or third or fourth tier for you?
1: Yeah, look, you've got those guys at the top. You've got uh, Davis, if you want to count him as a center. You've got uh, Towns, Jokic, Embiid, all, all above that. Then it gets interesting because uh, Nikola Vucevic did finish um, as a second-round player last season, so he's in that mix. Rudy Gobert is in that mix as well. Andre Drummond and DeAndre Ayton, they're probably that group of guys in that second to third round in terms of centers. There's also someone like Kevin Love and John Collins who can also be center-eligible in certain uh, uncertain sites depending on, on where you're playing. But that's that group, that five to six player group in that uh, you know between twelve and say thirty six in terms of uh, players. You can probably throw Mitchell Robinson in that group as well.
2: Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, but it seems like you know a lot of our summer projections for eight and have touched on the three point shooting. It seems like from a fantasy perspective, you would want you or you wouldn't want. Aiton to be taking those shots if he's not making them like a year where it's like kind of a trial run thing of him taking a few every night, but having pretty low three point percentage is, is not ideal for him.
1: That's the, that's the concern I guess with it is if he starts taking them and missing them, it drops his overall field goal percentage down. Now in general, when centers ta- start taking the threes, It's a balancing act. Are they hitting enough of them to be a positive contribution in the three-pointers made category uh, to offset the decrease in their efficiency? Because a guy like Aiton, who's a 59% field goal guy last year as a rookie, he's not going to hit his threes at 59%. So the more of those shots that he takes, the more his overall field goal percentage will reduce. But can he offset that by hitting those at 34% and then he starts hitting one three a game and that ups his overall scoring it ups his overall threes as well to offset that difference in field goal percentage but if he's not going to hit them then yeah we don't want him taking them the last thing i have for you josh on
0: eight before we go on to our next time and talk about uber and bridges how do you rate these second year guys so to say Because it seems like it's hard to – I mean, maybe it's easier from a fantasy perspective, but how do you rate just how big their growth could be in their second year? Because we saw Anthony Davis, for example, his second year just explode on the scene and be kind of the same thing there. How do you you kind of forecast that for other, like, rookie players going into their second year?
1: It is hard. Look, a lot of the time that the players take big steps forward heading into their third season. You see guys who took incremental steps forward last year, second-year guys, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, those sort of players who improved, they didn't take big leaps forward. A lot of big steps forward, especially for guys who are relatively successful as rookies. It does tend to come in their third year. Um, To me, with Aiden, it's all just going to come down to, can he, can he start blocking shots at a high rate? He's never shown that before. He didn't show it last year. He didn't show it in college. So there's skepticism in that. And can he improve his free throws? I'm a lot more confident in the free throws being able to improve than I am with, with the, the shots uh, or the block shots. And if that happens and he starts getting to the line more, which is another thing that happens quite often with second year and third year guys as they see their free throw rate increase. And if you're doing that, that that's a that's a knife's edge thing as well because if you're um, not hitting your free throws well and you're taking more attempts, it becomes a big negative. It's like someone like Rudy Gobert who's yeah upped his free throw rate, but only hits him at 65%, so actually becomes a, a real negative in that area. So if Ayton can improve the free throws and do that natural progression to take more free throws, and then that'll come with also being used differently in an offensive scheme, I think that there there is a significant room for him to to grow and get better in that area.
0: All righty, guys, before we go on to our next segment here, diving deeper into the sun's intriguing wing rotation of Mikael Brez and Kelly Ubray, I want to tell everyone really quickly about a sponsor of today's show, which is the On NFL show. The new, Lockdown, the new Lockdown NFL is on fire. Last year was one of the most listened to NFL shows. The expert analysis of former, scout NF, former NFL scout Matt Williamson, hosted by Brian Peacock. On NFL is your daily national podcast on all things NFL. Matt, you need to take on the game. Follow On NFL now your favorite podcast provider. Already, Josh, I I was listening to one of your shows. You're talking post All Star break. I believe it was a week or two ago. And Kelly is one of the more intriguing names you brought because I I believe you finished in the top seventy five post All Star break. How do you do you think that's more of a facade from Ubre where he got all the, that usage and those points because he was averaging close to twenty points. The defensive stats were there. Do you think that can maintain for him?
1: Ubre is an interesting one because he did have that big that big effort at the end of the, all, the uh, after the all-star break where he was putting up not not just top 70 numbers but he was uh, like a top 30 guy over the, the last couple of uh, top top fifty guy post all star and top thirty over the last month or so of the season, that came uh, a lot of it. He was playing a lot of minutes, thirty three minutes a night uh, during that time. His usage was sky high, and I think we have to tie that high usage in with the absence of Booker, and that and of course TJ Warren was out with mysterious ankle ailments at, at that point as well. But Ubre was taking on such a larger larger role there. We also saw his block rate pretty much double last season as well, or almost over double at, at times. And the steal rate was was really high. So there are a few things there where I look at it and go, I'm not so sure this is going to continue. Same as the 48% shooting he was uh, he was uh, throwing up there in the final 13 games of the season. Is is that going to stick? But more importantly, that 26% usage, uh, when Booker is back, if you've got more touches going to Aiton with Sharich around, yeah, is he going to be able to have that level of usage? I'm pretty skeptical that he can do that same thing that he did at the end of last season because I just don't think the same amount of shots are going to be there.
2: You've been covering this stuff so long, Josh, that you actually would be a good person to to ask a question about Oubre uh, as it pertains to kind of thinking more about whether that was a blip or not. And that is just, has there ever been or, or was there ever in Washington a time when he was on your radar to the level that he was at the end of last season? I mean, I think from a pure points and and usage standpoint, the answer is probably no, but just in in other different categories, was he ever a guy that you were considering to the level that he kind of forced you to with that last uh, stretch of last season?
1: No, never. Um, In Washington, look, he really struggled with efficiency. He had his by far his best uh, efficiency season last year. With a true shooting of fifty five percent and uh, fifty six after the All Star break in Washington, like he barely could hit those shots. You know, the first two years he couldn't hit over thirty two percent of his threes. Even his third year there, he had a true shooting of 53%. He didn't show any aptitude to block shots. His steal rate was pretty low as well. So overall, he just seemed like a a scorer who couldn't shoot very well and didn't do very much else uh, well on top of that. But last year, the efficiency went up. The defensive numbers went up. It happened over like a 40-game sample size. I haven't many games he played for the Suns. I'm a little bit skeptical that it is necessarily here to stay, but... It's a natural progression of guys in, in his fourth season. Maybe all those things do stick. Uh, the usage is what I'm worried about, but it's those other numbers which he never showed before. Will they be able to stick?
0: I think one of the more intriguing things about Ubre, I tell us to Brennan a couple of times over the offseason, I feel like Ricky Rubio is one of those guys. who's not going to help Aiden and Booker, but also a guy like Kelly Ubre because he's going to be getting those easy transition buckets. I feel like Oubre is the one that's going to benefit most from that. What do you think is the impact? We'll talk about Rubio more in the next segment here, Josh, but from from Ubre's standpoint, I feel like, rubio's presence might be a huge thing for him
1: rubio is an interesting one um i think he's going to have an impact on these obviously the point guard situation if you're starting isaiah canaan as a starting point guard you're obviously scraping the bottom of the barrel as phoenix was last season um anthony melton did his job there i thought they were a little bit uh rushed to get rid of him in that josh jackson salary dump but rubio is a different player there now he's Assist numbers. If you look at what he's done the last couple of years in Utah, there are uh, they're a little bit muted because of Quinn Snyder's system. But I think that he can go back to having maybe closer to what he did in his Minnesota days. But it opens things up for all these other guys as well. Now Rubio is not a, not a great shooter by any means. Uh, he has moments where he can shoot at an okay level, but he knows he's a smart offensive player, he's a smart defensive player. I think it's going to do nothing but help these other guys.
2: Yeah, I mean, transitioning a little bit to Mikhail Bridges here, I think. Uh, from a three-point perspective, I think he and Ubre both are really going to be helped by the stabilization of the offense that I think is going to come with Rubio. And so, you know, thinking about fantasy, those guys, I think both will see their efficiency tick up. I know in general, Bridges was an efficient player because he just didn't take shots that weren't, you know, at the completely open at the rim or or threes. Uh, I would imagine he'll take more of everything, but I think the threes he gets will be easier how do I guess? Like, kind of a, a bigger philosophical question here about fantasy would just be like, how do you gauge for the arrival of somebody like Rubio in a situation? Uh, you know, you talked about how bad it was at the point guard spot here last year, but even just thinking about something like easier catch and shoot opportunities for a guy based on the presence of a better point guard—that feels like it's a lot of of a guessing game. But I mean, how much does that factor in when you think about guys like? Oubre and Bridges who could see an uptick in their shooting efficiency.
1: Yeah, look, it is something to pay some attention to, but those sort of things like increased open looks or increased catch and shoot numbers, it, it doesn't have a massive impact on fantasy. It's, we're looking at things like rebounds and assists and steals and blocks. And, and none of those things are really influenced by that sort of thing. Now, sometimes, Adding players who increase spacing, it helps in terms of players getting to the rim more often. That can increase their free throw attempt rate. Uh, you know, adding other players who are poor rebounders or good rebounders in certain situations, like example, you we know, don't want to go onto Utah too much, but you know, subtracting Derek Favors and adding Boyan Bogdanovich as the power forward means that more rebounds have to go to other players. So that's how we try and balance that stuff out. But in terms of who's getting open looks, maybe it increases their field goal percentage 1% or 2%. But it's always hard to know whether that is actually a factor from the guy throwing those passes or if it's just a natural variation. People don't have an exact same field goal percentage every single season. And then when someone else comes along, it increases. They might have gone up and down two, three, four, five percentage points, irrespective of someone else being there. So while it is good to think about. And how these other players can have an impact in general. The overall fantasy impact of someone, you are setting them up better doesn't necessarily have a, a huge role. What we're more looking at is if someone's coming in and is a high usage player, how does that impact everyone else? Where do those those shots then have to go? How do they that? How does that all get balanced out?
0: With Mikhail Bridges, Josh, his defensive production. I know he was one of the best defenders in college at Villanova, but that immediately translated from the Steelers' steals department for the Suns, averaging nearly two per game. What do you think the upside is for Mikael Burgess here? If he, actually, if his offensive game clicks here and his defensive potential maintains, I feel like he's a guy who could really take a leap this year from a fantasy perspective.
1: I think a lot of it is going to come down to just sort of how much he, he does play. I think he's going to play quite a bit on this team. But the defensive stuff is real for for Bridges. His block rate was a little bit disappointing last season and his three-point percentage. I think both of those things can increase pretty dramatically, especially the threes where he hit 34%. But his ability to generate steals at a high level meant that as a rookie in under 30 minutes a game, he was a top 140 player. That's not huge, but it is when you're only scoring eight points per game. You're bringing that value in other areas. I think he can get up to maybe 0. 0.7, 0.8 blocks per game. Maybe he has a season or two where he gets two steals a game. And then it's just bringing in the efficiency numbers. He hit his free throw as well, but can he start hitting the three-pointers? Can he be a a two-threes-a-game guy, 12 points, five rebounds sort of a player? I think we'll see a little bit now. He played probably more oh, more two last year than what he will do this year would, would be my guess with Bridges, which should help his overall rebound numbers, which were pretty lackluster last season. But when you're looking at Bridges for this season, you're looking really just at his steals, and hopefully he starts bringing some more efficiency on the uh, from behind the behind the three point arc.
2: Yeah, I'm curious what you as you kind of look at this roster and the playing time questions about Bridges and the fit with Ubre. There's a lot kind of different for his role this year, but we did see him flash. He had an an eight assist game late in the year. I think that was another aspect of his game. Not like he's a primary initiating type of player, but um, I don't know what I make of it. I don't really necessarily think that uh, that stuff is going to continue because I don't think I just think they have better options. They don't need to ask Bridges to do that. Whereas at the end of last season, maybe they didn't have many better options, especially when Devin Booker was not on the court. But I, I guess just what do you make of that? Do you think that there's a, a possibility that that comes into play that he does kind of pile up a little bit at the bench, which I think is the expectation right now.
1: Well, it is it is interesting because those assist numbers at, down the stretch of last season were pretty high over the final. Is it 10 or 11 games here? 7 4, 1 5, 2 2, 1 4, 2 in terms of assists. But again, Devin Booker was out. And now we're going to add Booker back in. We're going to add Rubio back in. I just don't think he's going, as you said, I don't think he's going to have those opportunities to show that playmaking ability. But the fact that it's there is really interesting when we look long term with Bridges. If he can start establishing himself more and and play in, in that sort of point forward ish type of role off of Booker, who knows how long Rubio is actually going to be around where they end up trading or whatever they end up doing. But yeah, the the extra ability that Bridges has there it was an interesting flash. I don't think we're going to see too much of it this year, though.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I'm i excited about it because I want him to add that just because I think it uh, kind of increases the fun factor of this team. And I, I really like him as a player. So seeing him as close to that Villanova version as possible uh, excites me. But I agree that even if it happens, it probably won't be this season. Um, and that's fine. I mean, that's that's totally okay. Before we move on to our next segment, guys, talking about the two newest additions to the Suns roster, we've already touched on Rubio Plenty, but we'll get into what exactly he will be, as well as Dario Sharich. I wanted to remind you again, as we get ready for the NFL season, to check out Crossover Wednesday. That is a special feature over on the NFL side of our network. And for the entire season, you'll get a special episode every Wednesday on the Lockdown NFL feed as the hosts from opposing sides meet up to preview the excitement of the games that will be happening that week. So find your favorite team wherever you get your podcasts and be sure not to miss our NFL listeners favorite segment. All right, let's finally dig in to Rubio here, Josh and what you expect from him specifically. We've talked a lot about how he will help the other parts of this roster improve their efficiency and just probably create a a higher powered offense but what do you make of his assists do you think it'll be closer to where it was in Minnesota when he was on a younger roster and kind of setting the table a little bit more or do you think it'll even out playing with a guy like Booker kind of similar to what it was with Donovan Mitchell in Utah
1: um (sighs) I think it's sort of going to be somewhere in between. I don't think it's necessarily going to be back entirely to those Minnesota levels, but I do think that we're going to see an increase from what we've seen the last couple of seasons.
0: Let me, th- let me ask you this as well, Josh with Rubio, because I, I feel personally, it's the most talented team he's been on as far as offensive talent goes with Aiden Booker Aden Ubrey if McKill Bruce takes a leap as well. What do you think is the upside here from Rubio's fantasy point of view? Because I could see a, I could see a season, even though the point production's not there. He could be maybe a top fifteen, top twenty point guard for sure from a fantasy perspective.
1: Um, upside for for Rubio is an interesting one. He put together you know, multiple top fifty seasons in Minnesota. I don't think he'll quite get back to that level, but I think he'll be a, a quite a surprise player for this season. I think he can be in that mid range sort of an area. I think he might end up the season yeah, ranked ahead of guys like you know, uh, flavor of the, the moment, sort of Jamal Morant type of a player or uh, even a Jamal Murray, Derek White, those sort of guys. Jeff Teague uh, in Minnesota now as well. I think he might have a chance to end up above those guys because I do think that his assist rate will jump back up. He's always been pretty good at generating steals. He's a strong rebounder as well for a point guard. He doesn't need to score much. He's a good free throw shooter. I think he'll have a, a pretty significant bounce back season this year. Do
2: you have anything else on Rubio, Evan?
1: No, I think we've covered him enough, and I
0: think really the upside is there with Rubio as far as it goes, but I think you're relying yeah, on things on Booker.
2: I think there will be nights where he leads the team in scoring. I think there will be nights where that happens. I think just with the fact that they want to push the tempo here and the fact that the ball's going to be in his hands quite a bit, I think we'll see him on the court without Booker. I think there's a, a lot of nights where he'll put up a lot of uh, a lot of points. That's something I've been thinking about a little bit more just – Maybe I'm overreacting to the presence of a legit point guard, but uh, I'm excited by that. What what about charge for you, uh, Josh? He's not really. He's kind of like he he jumped into the league as just a a pretty sturdy, like what thirteen and seven type of player or some somewhere around there, off the top of my head. Do you think there's a a chance that being on a younger? I mean, he was on a young team in Philly, but being more of the veteran on a younger team here might kind of lead to some
1: increased opportunities for him no i think that 13 and 7 is probably about right we've seen him put up similar sort of numbers in philadelphia it was a drop-off last year in minnesota as he went to the bench behind taj gibson i'm just not really sure what else he's going to do that that's that's great i don't think he's going to have this sky sky high usage he had a 25 usage rate as a rookie in philadelphia i don't think that's coming back anywhere near that level I think he's going to be around the 19, 20 mark. There, he's not an overly great rebounder. Uh, he generates nothing in terms of defensive numbers. Solid enough three-point shooter, but I just don't see the area that uh, that Sharich is taking these big steps forward to become a real impact player for fantasy. Now it's obviously an upgrade over to uh, over what Phoenix was doing at power forward last season, but I think he hovers around that 100, 120 type of mark in terms of his overall. In terms of his overall uh, fantasy value for this upcoming season, I just don't really see him having a, a big breakout in any one area.
0: Let me ask you this, Josh: He's a career assist two point one per game. I think Monty Williams has talked about. I think Dario's talked about as well that he might have more of a playmaking role this year. What what do you think that would do for his fantasy impact? If he maybe averages, let's say three, three and a half assists.
1: Anyone who can come in and start averaging, um, you know, if they can, a big man can give you four assists per game. That's huge. Now he's never been at that level. I think two point six is the highest assist he's had per season. And again, you've got Booker and Rubio there who are going to be doing a lot of ball handling. Um, I, I, I don't think he's necessarily going to push that level, but any time that you can increase your assist level, it does help pretty significantly in fantasy. It is one of those categories that can be harder to find towards the end of drafts. If he's able to do that and increase his assist rate, then I think it will be beneficial. I'm just I have my doubts that he's going to be able to push it too much uh, further than where it's been.
2: Yeah, it's surprising to me looking at his stats. Kind of just again, I guess I haven't really looked too hard since they acquired him, but not an incredibly efficient from two player. That's Mm -hmm. that's kind of interesting to to take note of as we think about the sun season in general. And I think that contributes I mean, He's never been over 50% from the field, despite being a pretty decent three point shooter, which is a surprise kind of at at second glance here, good free throw shooter. So you would especially think just the, the long range shots would, would help him out more, but um, that's a little bit surprising, I guess Um, the one thing that I'm curious about just again, kind of, zooming out a little bit from Sharich specifically, but just, you talked about, you know, he's a little bit of a higher assist guy than some power forward options, and he's also a pretty consistently safe type of bet. When you're at the end of a draft like that and you start to think about guys like this, do you favor the, I'm going to put him in my lineup and I can definitely know what I'm getting guys, or do you tend to, I mean, it's case by case, right? But like, or do you tend to lean toward, more kind of younger, more of a chance for breakout types of guys in those kind of latter rounds.
1: No, I look at I look at the younger guys in those last picks. It's all well and good to get pick someone at 120 and they finish the season as the 120th ranked player. That's it's fine. But I'd rather pick someone at 120 who then ends up with a chance to be the 50th best guy or ends up as the 200th best guy. Because at the end of my roster, if it doesn't work out in the first couple of weeks, then see you later. I'll go grab the next guy. I'll go grab the next guy. Uh, having an upside of being the 12th best player on a 13-man roster is not something I'm all that interested in. And when you get towards a, a, the playoff section in fantasy, grabbing those guys who are you going to provide that solid value is fantastic. And that's reliable. But I want to take those chances on those players who could end up on my roster as a top 50 guy rather than someone who's just going to be hovering back at the end there.
0: Closing things out here, Josh, for the listeners out there might be drafting here sooner, maybe before the season starts. Where would you recommend taking maybe Booker, Aiden,
1: and maybe a guy like Kelly as well? I think Booker is a second-round guy pretty clearly. Uh, Aiton's a third-round player if you wanted to grab him at the back end of the second round. I don't think there's any problem with that as all, at all because getting efficient big men uh, can be a can be a tough ask. So I think that he's fine around that area. Oubre, I think, is he, a mid-round guy. Probably a, a, if you wanted to reach into the top 70, I wouldn't be, say it's terrible. Probably not where I would go with it. I think that uh, ESPN's got him ranked 155th, which is ridiculous. He's a, a top 80-ish, top 75-ish type of player, I think.
0: Certainly awesome stuff here, Josh. Vernon, anything else you want before we close things out?
2: No, this was a fun episode. I, I appreciate hearing your thoughts on things, Josh. It's a, it's a nice way to, to kill this time. I know you're busy. No worries, guys.